Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina, and alongside me once again, back off the physically unable to perform list, uh, <laughs> former longtime football coach in the state of New Hampshire, Mike Lockman. Mike, welcome back. Hey, thank you. It was it was uh, it was business travel, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's good well, to be back. You physically weren't here. That's true. You were not unable to perform. I was definitely unable therefore. to perform. <laughs> um, we're once again recording the show at Riverside Barbecue in downtown Nashville, where they have rearranged all of the seating. So uh, if if we sound like we get we uh, get distracted a little bit, it's because we can see things we've never seen before. Yeah, the uh, the, the feng shui or whatever the hell they call <laughs> the thing, where it's all about how the furniture arranges. We're all messed little, up. Yeah, right we're now. a little little discombobulated. Yep. Uh, as always, you can send us your questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail dot com or on Twitter at NHHS Sports. Uh, you can listen to, the, listen to the show Wednesday mornings at nh-highschoolsports.com. And this is it. This is the final week where we're going to be talking about, we're going to be previewing games. Yeah. Um, before, we, before we preview any games, I want to talk about uh, the one championship game that we've already had take place. Uh, the Division Four final was, of course, last Saturday night in Laconia. Uh, it felt more like the North Pole. Yeah, uh, if you were there, uh, as I was, I was getting um, your text all night saying I, <laughs> I can no longer feel my toes. Now my feet are numb. I can't feel I below was my knee. Legit <laughs> worried about my toes at one point. Yeah, I had three pairs of socks on. Um, one, two of which were fairly heavy. One was like lined with like wool on the inside. I, I, I was. I don't know if I've. I've probably been colder. Yeah. I was. I was fine. You know, my core, my extremities were were having a hard time yeah um and i can't even imagine what it was like playing in the, in that weather um and it seemed to take a toll a little bit on the on the offenses uh throwing the ball was not um you know not an easy thing to do for either team of course winnesquam beat fall mountain 20 to nothing in that game their 18th win in a row of course they've been undefeated champs indeed for the last two years yeah um you know they finish out the year um, oh, now, of course, I'm going to start to say that, and then I lose the number in front of me. Um, they played really well defensively this year, though. I'll give you the number on how many points they allowed or what they, they did uh, over the course of the year in a moment. Um, you know, but a game where, as I said, the, the downfield passing games were not really there for either team. Yeah. Uh, and for Winnesquam, they were able to hit on a couple of short passes out to the outside from Phil Nichols to Garrett Mango. Um, two long touchdown passes. You had a, a fumble return for a touchdown from uh, Gunnar Horman to start out the scoring um, after a first quarter that was kind of dominated by Fall Mountain. Um, you know, they had kept Winnesquam's offense in check. They opened the game with a, a pretty long drive uh, that didn't, you know, didn't amount to any points. Right. But it ate up a lot of clock. Yeah. It won them field position. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the fumble, um, you know, it was a... a couple yard gain up the middle by uh, Isaac Westover from for Fall Mountain. You know, as he's going to the ground, he loses the ball and it bounces perfectly to Holman who just picks it up and scores. Yeah, I saw the video um, that you posted and uh, yeah, I mean, that's painful too because on nights like that where the weather is a factor whether it's rain or whether it's cold you know that especially when you kind of have the stalemate that you start with, right? It's kind of a back and forth you know that sometimes as a coach you have that nervousness about it's going to it's going to take one one mistake or or one hey we got lucky and executed something big or whatever it's like that one little break that you need is sometimes all you need 
to kind of crack that door open and go through. And it sounds like that that you know a scoop and score is a big it, play it, it regardless. Was, yeah. But yeah. that that sounded like what sort of broke it open. Well, that touchdown came with about 40 seconds left in the first quarter. Uh, Fall Mountain gets the ball back and immediately goes three and out, has to punt. Um, and on the very next play, uh, Winnesquam, uh, Nichols hits Mango with a short pass. He goes 55 yards for a touchdown. Yeah. You know, and, and, and Winnesquam coach uh, Derek Hunt said afterwards, you know, it kind of felt like the fumble led to the touchdown, you know, yeah. led to the, the, the passing touchdown, you know, that it just it got the ball rolling. And they happened literally within two minutes of e- or game time, two minutes of each other. Yeah. Um, you know, and then that was it for really either team in the first half. Um, Fall Mountain threatened late after a turnover. Um, you know, but then and Mango again came up with an interception to, to end that yeah. uh, drive. Um, it was a 14 nothing game and it really didn't feel like a 14 nothing game because the two touchdowns happened so fast and there wasn't much offense outside of that. Right. Um, so really kind of an interesting, dyna- you know, as you're coming down the stretch, it's like, OK, Fall Mountain's getting close. They're getting close, but they still got to score twice. Right. Um, so, it, you know, it, it just kind of felt like as time wore on, there just wasn't enough time left for them to to capitalize or to score and to get back in the, you know, get get it in a one-score game. Yeah. Well, and as you mentioned, too, it's a tall order, right? Because Winnesquam's defense has been... I mean, they, they gave up, um, you know, they shut them out, shut out Fall Mountain in the final. They gave up seven points to Bishop Brady, um, you know, in the semifinals. Um, you know, and before that, they'd given up in their last four games um, a total of 19 points. Yeah. You know, and then you look at Fall Mountain's defense... They'd had they'd given up a total of 14 points during a six-game winning streak to get to the final. Yeah. So I mean, really, you know, as much as the weather might have had a, been a factor, um, the defenses were both very, very good yeah. going into this game. Well, and the two turnovers from by Winnesquam, right? Two very timely turnovers is is a huge deal too. I mean, you've covered enough championship games to know that, you know, in the in the evenly matched ones. It's sometimes just that one or that one turnover, the defense that can generate the turnover or the score, uh, the defensive score, whatever right. it is. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. that's it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing that occurs to me is, if I remember correctly, weren't weren't most of the championship games last year pretty low scoring affairs? Uh, yes. Like kind of defensive battles. The the Division Two game last year was a little bit higher scoring. Like in the, I want to say it was high twenties, maybe thirties, because Alvern got out to that like twenty to seven lead or something like that on on Plymouth. Yeah. Um, and Plymouth ended up coming back. But like, uh, but you're right. You're you're right. Commit was I think Monadnock beat Campbell fifteen twelve. Yeah. Winnesquam I think beat Franklin last year was like I don't think either team got into the twenties. Yeah. And then Bedford Bedford Pinkerton was a twenty eight fourteen game where. Both Pinkerton's touchdowns came off short fields where Bedford right. had fumbled. Right. Yeah, so yeah, all were were pretty low scoring games. Yeah, so it does it does make you wonder as that weather gets colder too. You know the 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 tide shifts to the defensive side of the ball and it's it's harder for offenses to do some of the things that they like to do. Yeah. Sounds like that might yeah. have been the case. You were saying that Fall Mountain at times struggled to move the ball a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and what I I found interesting or, or kind of fun about both teams looking over their rosters. Um, Fall Mountain does lose 14 seniors from this team um, that won the first playoff game in program history, um, had the program's first winning record since 1999, uh, made the playoffs for the first time since 94. Yep. Um, you know, like I said, they lose 14 seniors, but they return, uh, that's maybe about a quarter to a third of their roster. They return a lot of kids next year. 
um, including quarterback Luke Gay, uh, Westover, who I mentioned, uh, a couple other uh, key defensive players whose names I'm, I should have in front of me, but I don't. Yep. <laughs> you said their uh, line is... Uh, their line, I think, was a co- had a couple seniors on it, but it looks like they returned some linemen. Yep. Um, Which is know, always good. I mean, a couple few couple few guys for continuity from a championship yeah, team yeah. on an O line is nothing to nothing to shake a stick at. And then on the other side, Winnesquam graduates three seniors. Oh my god! Um, you know, and and among their returnees is Nichols, who yep. is now a two time uh, championship quarterback, right. and and Mango, who is uh, you know seems like he's quite a big playmaker. Uh, granted, the one the one game I've seen them now, right. <laughs> Well, well, it was the one game one, that yeah, the most, yeah. so, yeah. Um, so, I'm not sure. Again, we are at the end of um, – I know we, we've briefly talked about it this year, and it feels like it hasn't been brought up a lot. Um, but this is the end of the two-year cycle for the NHIAA, so changes are coming next year in terms of, you know, divisions and classifications. I think they're sticking with four from what I've been able to, to tell. Um, not sure. I, I would imagine that both of these teams are still in Division Four next year. But who knows? I, yeah, uh, I, I, I've talked to a lot of coaches around. I think there's going to be a lot of interesting changes. <laughs> well, hopefully we're still, you know, we still have what's coming up on Sunday. Yep. Three championship games at UNH. Yes, they are at UNH. Uh, yeah, there yeah. were no Some know, drama there, the, though, the, right? The, the men's soccer team is not playing on Sunday at UNH, so there will be three football games there. Uh, you know, and... Um, you mentioned the cold weather. I look, you know, wanted to pull up what the the forecast looked for on Sunday uh, in Durham. High of 41, low of 26. A mixture of rain and snow now uh, being predicted. Are you kidding me? Uh, I am not. That's New Hampshire championship football. Uh, right yeah, there, baby. Where <laughs> <laughs> you know, as long as it's not bad as bad as uh, two years ago. The second half of the Division One game between Winnicott and Pinkerton was a downpour. Uh, I think I watched most of that second half from the tunnel yeah. um, on the f- because it was just too much to stand outside. Yeah, uh, yeah. Downpours this time of year too are not pleasant. No, right? they I mean, no, it's, not it's at all. Not usually pleasant I would, anyway. But I would actually prefer the 17 degrees that it was at Laconia. Yeah, uh, you don't want to be wet. Yeah. No, no. And if you don't live in the seacoast area, <laughs> it's a long drive home. In a wet car, yeah, with your wet clothes and a in a car that's not yet hot, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we don't want to discourage people from going <laughs> to the biggest weekend. Oh, of course in, not. In, of course in not. NHIA football the, the year, so right. So it's, it's going to be a little chilly. So bundle up, but bring know. bring an umbrella, maybe maybe an extra pair of socks. Um, so let's talk about these games that are coming up on Saturday. Uh, of course, the first game of the day will be the Division Three final. Um, once again. As I think it's been the last couple of years, we have one versus two, yeah. um, but maybe not the one versus two we yeah, have been getting. Expected, um, right? No, no Campbellman Adnock rematch this year. Yeah. Uh, instead, it's number two Trinity taking on number one Lebanon. Uh, Eleven a.m. kickoff. Um, you know, teams that played during the regular season, Lebanon beat Trinity uh, for their you know Trinity's one loss. Um, of course, Lebanon lost the last game of their regular season to Campbell, um, but if come out with two uh, very convincing wins in back-to-back weeks, including last week's shutout of uh, Hillsborough during Hopkinton. Yeah. Um, kind of kind of a surprise, you think, in that one? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I feel weird saying that because, um, you know, the, the, the regular season game between those two were, was kind of a blowout, right, if you looked at the numbers. But I was there for that whole game, and 
you know, I, th- I thought that my assessment anyway was that momentum really just got out of hand and Hillsborough was a little banged up and they got taken advantage of between injuries and momentum. But, um, you know, but I was wrong because Lebanon came out, put a complete game together, kept Colby quiet and company out of the end zone. You know, I mean, it was a shutout. And, and, and I don't – has had anybody even come close to shutting HDH out? I mean, I think even in those games that were – there were some Le- – Lebanon was the closest. They had them to 14 points the last time. They beat them 62-14 to 14 yeah. the first time um, and shut them out in the second half of that game. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, no one had um, – I think – I, I want to say quiet was only was something like three touchdowns away from the single season uh, state record. Yeah, um, and his average was probably at least three touchdowns a game. Yeah. So, yeah. So I I hate it, it. Feels weird saying it was a surprise. I think it was a it wasn't a surprise that they won. It was a surprise that they won that the, single the way handedly. That they did. Yeah. Um, and then and then you know speaking of surprises and extremely pleasant ones, you're talking about tr- the Trinity Pioneers who two seasons ago did not have a varsity football right. team. Yeah. They were playing kind of a club schedule to, to, to go into rebuilding. And I remember being so um, – I'm trying to think of the right adjective. It, 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 like, just saddened by that, right? Like, right? And I don't mean that in any way to say there was anything wrong with Trinity or anything. It just – it bummed me out, right? Like, I was like, wow, Trinity I mean, is, is like this storied program, a lot of history, and – they're not going to field a varsity team. And all of a sudden, two years later, they've built it up to they're going to the biggest show that you can go to in this game. I mean, so. for, for a, a, a school, a private school that doesn't really have a feeder program, I mean, that's a scary situation because you don't know what's going to happen. You know, if you're not – if the kids can't see it, you know, they may not – you know, kind of like what you were saying about, um, you know, winning draws in yeah, you yeah. Know, teams, um, or it can – um, you know, if they don't see that there's a football program, maybe you don't get the kids. Right. And then it just doesn't come back. Yeah. If you're thinking uh, of going to Trinity and you're a football player, maybe you say, hey, well, maybe I go to BG instead or whatever, because at least I know there's a solid, right. you know, a solid future there for football. But to turn that in two years now, I'm going to I'm going to say, like, having coached a long time, I don't think there's anything harder in football than trying to turn it around. Right? It's It's hard to maintain. It's hard to win. It's hard to get to a championship. I don't think there's anything harder than trying to turn it around when you've had either a you know a really tough season or the unthinkable like what happened to Trinity a couple of years ago. You don't even play varsity. The fact that that coaching staff and those players, I mean, it always comes down to the players, right? We're dedicated enough to getting better, playing together as a team, working out together, whatever they did to to be staring you know one game away from you know, figuring out what their ring sizes are. Yeah. It's pretty special. Yeah. Of course, uh, Trinity beat Stevens 48 to 15. Um, got a big game from, from John T. Walt in that game. In, As in usual. In yeah. game, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, did he have a, he had a game earlier this season where I thought I read he had like almost, he had like 400 yards rushing and we didn't know oh, he it. might have. It I was d- like two uh, or three weeks ago. I remember I was flipping through after we had done the podcast. I was like, is that, was that a misprint? So somebody <laughs> will have to, whether it's Dave Caponigro, who I know is the is the um, is the trainer over at Trinity, who stays in touch with me every week, but if jo- if if Tebow had like a 300, 400 yard game, I want to know about that. So somebody tweet me or text me. <laughs> uh, like I said, we these two teams met back in week two, September thirteenth, uh, at Lebanon. Uh, the Raiders won twenty one seven. 
Trinity's lowest scoring game of the year by far. Yep. Um, they weren't he- the seven points. Um, their lowest, their next lowest point total uh, was thirty-one again in a win over Campbell. Wow. Um, which was an overtime game. Yep. Uh, they also scored thirty-five in the quarterfinals against Newport. Yep. So those were their um, their two lowest scoring games of the year, and Lebanon held them to seven. But then you flip that over, and the twenty-one points that Lebanon had. The second fewest they had this season, Campbell held them to 17 in that, that regular season finale. Uh, and their next lowest point total of the year uh, during the regular season was a 42 they scored against Stevens. Wow. So, I mean, these are two teams that put up a lot of points. And, you know, outside of a couple of games, you know, Monadnock had 28 on Lebanon. We mentioned Hillsborough with 14 in the regular season. Campbell scored 22 on them. Not a lot of teams have scored points on uh, on Lebanon. No. And, and Trinity has at times given up some points. Yeah. Um, the one thing to probably factor in that, that you know, maybe will ha- – I, I, I think it will maybe lead to a low-scoring first half, which we've kind of seen um, the last couple years in the D3 game, is that the game kicks off at 11 o'clock on a Sunday. Yeah. Uh, these kids probably haven't played an 11 a.m. Sunday game since they were – yeah. What probably Pop Warner age. Pop Warner flag football. I yeah. don't know. Something like that. Yeah. So that's so you're shaking off some yeah. cobwebs potentially, yeah. right? And I mean it's just, you know, a lot of them are used to playing Friday nights. Yep. A lot of them are used to playing Saturdays and we're talking about a Sunday game. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a good it's also a good point. I, I don't I you know, I was never fortunate enough to be in this situation. Um, but I don't you know, I, I wonder how the coaches are approaching that, whether they're you know, doing some kind of a walkthrough on Saturday? Are they, you know, do you do a, like a pasta party type of thing on Saturday? Do you curfew Saturday uh, and make sure everybody's kind of getting a good good rest? I, you know, it'd be interesting to know what what the different coaching approaches are to trying to get your, it, particularly for the D3 game where, you, you, you know, you got to figure you're jumping on the bus at, seven o'clock right, or something yeah, right yeah. i mean because you got to get up there you got to get taped you got to get whatever if you're, maybe if you're lebanon you're staying over somewhere in durham yeah, overnight. Right, right yeah maybe you're doing the the, the hotel deal yeah. right but uh oh that would that would probably be even worse yeah i don't know if i would advocate for that but um <laughs> yeah it should be that should be a great game i mean we've had some really good matchups in d3 in the championship Absolutely, the last couple of years yeah, and yeah this one kind of feels like that that Manadnock campbell type of matchup right where they're both teams that are really predicated on running the ball well playing good defense taking your shots when you could take them they both have premier running backs um i, I think that's going to be an awesome matchup and uh i'm not sure i'm not sure that i'm ready to just throw money in on leb even though that would seem to be the reasonable thing to do because um I don't know. I, 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 I think that's a tough call. Well, well, let's take a look here. at. Um, I, I like to go back to, you know, since we got to this alignment. They, they, the NHIA switched first to three divisions in 2013. They added Division Four last year in 2018. 18, excuse me. Um, so that's going back now, what, six seasons? This is the seventh season. Uh, of course, you know, last two years, Division Three has been a little bit different because of the addition to of the fourth division. Um, you know, but over that time, you know, the lower seeded team has won just as much in this game as, as the higher seeded team. Of course, um, you know, that first year was kind of a, a weird one because you had the four conferences and, and you could argue that Bowen Pelham played the championship right. game in the quarterfinals because they were the two best teams in Division Three that year. Right. But Bo, the higher seed, beat Stevens in that final that Stevens went on a kind of a nice run to get there. 
The next year, Campbell was a, a lower-seeded team. They ended up knocking off Bow and Newport on the way to that final. The next year, Newport comes back as, a, as the top seed and beats Interlakes Moultonboro. Um, the year after that, Stevens goes on its first magical run. I remember that, To win yeah. the championship yeah. um, as a lower-seeded team. And then Campbell, albeit as the two-seed, beat number one Manadnock. And then next last year, the roles were reversed. Yeah, flipped, right. Um, Manadnock's still the top seed, though. So, I mean, it's gone back and forth. Um, again, this is one versus two, so no real, you know, underdog kind of yeah. coming into the game. But I, I don't think at this point um, there's not much of this game that would surprise me. Maybe if it was a blowout one way or the other, that would surprise me. That would me. surprise me, yeah. yeah I don't, I, the way these teams play defense, I, but again, both offenses are capable. So right, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the only way that you'd see a blowout is if, Something like what we were talking about earlier happened, which was there was a real painful momentum swinger, like a some you know, turnovers, turnover for yeah, a touchdown or an, an injury or, or something. Yeah, yeah, and then and then a team kind of loses um, a little bit of mojo as a result, and the other team just smells blood in the water and runs. But it should be a great game. The uh, the second game of the day, kicking off at two thirty p.m. at UNH, uh, the Division Two final, which is just soaked with history. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't say history. Um, firsts yeah. in history. Uh, the first time Hollis Brookline is in a championship game of any kind in football. Uh, also, the first time that Hollis Brookline and Plymouth will play each other as football teams. Right. Uh, oddly enough, has never happened. When when HB first started as a varsity team, they were in what D four, yeah, D five, and D four. They were in and Plymouth was up in D three. Four. Plymouth was in three. three. And then as they, you know, Hollis got a little bit bigger and got a little more experienced, they flipped. Plymouth yep. went to four. Hollis went up to three. And they so they've just never crossed paths. Right. Um, never been a crossover opponent at nope. any point since this realignment took place. Uh, also interesting, um, you know, Plymouth is the sixth seed. The defending champs uh, coming in, they are the sixth seed and will be the road team, the visiting team, because Hollis is the fifth seed. Right. Um, also, I, I, this was something that I, I thought of earlier today, and I meant to look it up, and I think it's right. Hollis has never had a home playoff game, if I remember correctly. Is that is that right? I think that's correct. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I I'm almost 100 percent sure you're right. That which is kind of remarkable. I mean, it's you know, again, we said this the first time they've been in the championship game. They were semifinalists in I want to say 2014, uh, 2014 or 2015. So yep. they've. They've won playoff games in the past, um, but have never. I just that that just to be in a championship game, having never hosted a never playoff, even hosted, never hosted right. a playoff game. Right. Uh, of course, now that I've said all this, I'm probably forgetting one, and there is actually no. I'm pretty someone's sure you're going to go right. back and look at. Oh, Joe, that that idiot. Yeah. Look at <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I I was there the first two years that right. They made yeah. the playoffs, yeah. which was 2010, 2011, uh, and both of those were road road games. Yeah. Games, and I'm pretty sure they kind of went back and forth a little while in in um, Coach Lona's first. Right. Years, right, they the I, they NBA had one. They they on. had one at Sanborn. They won. Yep, I but I think that. then they had to go to Wyndham. They had another year where they opened with Wyndham. I was at the Wyndham yeah. game. That yeah, they, that they went. That was a first rounder that they uh, they lost. Yeah. I, so I'm just gonna say, like, I'm. I remember how proud I was uh, to be an assistant on that staff when that program went those those first two years consecutively making the playoffs. And I, I mean, I think in 2011 we. Uh, Hollis Brookline was uh, was ranked a few weeks. You know, we had beaten Portsmouth, we had beaten Sauhegan, we had had some big wins we under our built Milford that year Milford, too. Yeah. Right. So like, yeah. there were a few weeks where we actually broke into the the the, the pole, 
and that feeling of how great it was, right, to kind of take this team that was one in whatever and two in whatever in D4 and, and just a few years later had built itself into a, a contender. For me, I, I just I'm really proud of those players and that staff. I know I'm not a, a part of that anymore. I haven't been for a long time, but I loved my time there. Um, it was a great place to coach and seeing a program just go on that steady upward path. Uh, you know, and they, they, they obviously they've had up and down years, but most programs have those up and down years. For Hollis, I, I, I hope they're excited. I hope they're not so excited that um, that overtakes them in the moment because on the other side is a team that basically just punches their ticket to the finals I, I, <laughs> every year. I mean, if, if um, you know, if you force me right now to pick a Division Two Coach of the Year, I don't – I would have a hard time picking between Coach Lonas and, and Chris Sanborn up yeah. in Plymouth. Um, I mean, any time a team gets this far for the first time – you know, especially as a five seed, having to go on the road twice and win. Yeah, well, and, you, and you know, beat the you, one seed. The one seed, too. Which was what um, Hollis just did last week. But at the same time, this Plymouth team was, I mean, to be fair, was not supposed to be here. No. Um, they were young, rebuilding, you know, as much as Plymouth rebuilds. Yeah. They lost virtually everything yeah. from last um, year. And here they are. You know, they give up. Um, you know, they go down to Pelham and beat Pelham 14-12 uh, two weeks ago. You know, they get a rematch with Alvern in the, of, of last year's championship game, and they beat them 14-7. to and, and both games, I think, have to hold on at the end and kind of have a defensive stand. Um, you know what, though? On, on, on paper, I mean, they're going to have to play out of their minds defense, I think, to slow down this Hollis team. Yeah. Um, on paper. Yeah. But it's Plymouth, so I'm never going to count them out. No. I, I mean. No, you can't. I mean, the interesting thing about this matchup, too, is that I know it's not identical, right? There's 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 differences in the way that Bo goes about their business on offense and what Plymouth does, right? Particularly in the blocking schemes that they use and, and things like that. But I don't want to get too technical. But but ultimately, it's not that much of a different matchup, right? Bo was a very run-heavy, two tight end, two and three running back kind of attack where they're going to get vertical on you, punch you in the face, and and just try to wear you out with some really good backs and great execution by the offensive line and tight ends. Plymouth, pretty much the same thing. I mean, again, they go about it a little differently. I think Plymouth uses a little bit more guard action. They'll block down and kick out a little bit more than uh, than Bo does. Bo comes right at you and gets vertical. But, you know, Hollis defended that. Now, if you had asked me, because I wasn't here, so you didn't have the occasion <laughs> to, but if you had asked me a couple weeks ago, hey, what do you think about Hollis versus Bo? I would have, to be honest, I would have had to say I think Bo has the advantage because I'm not sure that Hollis has ever seen anything well, like what Bo is going to do. So the flip side of that, though, Bo hadn't seen anything that Hollis was going to do. Absolutely fair. I mean, I know they played Sauhegan t two weeks in a row. Yep. Sauhegan's a very good spread team. Yep. Uh, but no one has no one has Sander Wimmer. I, I mean, he or Quinton, is. Or Quinton or but, um, Bergeson or but, any of those but guys. But just having a quarterback who can drop back and throw the ball anywhere that he wants to pretty yeah. for the most part but also can tuck it and, and run yeah. and not just run but run you over yeah i mean he, he, he looks is like a, a linebacker yeah he's a linebacker playing quarterback yeah who can also throw who, the ball who, yeah and who's not slow no by the I, by the point I'm, of his body size being if bigger. he's it, i you know I, I i thought i saw someone it was probably it was probably roger brown tweeted out you know potential finalists for i think gatorade player of the year and if if he's not 
at least been talked about for that. I would be kind of surprised. I mean, yeah. th- this is a, I and mean, he's playing defense too. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. you know, when he's he did a, you know, he he's a kind of kid. I feel like is a little bit like North's Curtis Harris. You know that that you know they need him to play well on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think there's definitely more depth. Um around him in Hollis. Yes. Um, but, I mean, it starts there. and It I does. Mean, but, but, but to your point, the great advantage that Hollis does have is that it, it's n- it doesn't begin and end with him. Right, right? yeah. He's got yeah. a really talented cast around him. The last four or five weeks, um, Hollis has, has, you know, sort of balanced out a little bit, too, by, by incorporating um, Mark Thermitis into the running game. I mean, I, I couldn't remember the last time a Hollis running back had a 100-yard rushing day and and that's because they've been so good at passing the last several years but i mean i think we you're going back to um farron salmi in like 2014 um not nate but his brother um matt matt farron salmi right was a really good back they used to feed a lot other than that you know it was sort of a it was sort of a keep you honest every once in a while type of thing well you know the fact that they have this running game that they can complement Sander and Quinton and 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 uh, Bergeson and and that whole core with really dangerous, but also the fact that, like I said, their defense, which I would have questioned their ability to do this, and I shouldn't have because I've seen them, but for them to go and shut out Bo's just power running well, game, yeah, I you know pretty, pretty the the first impressive. half of that game went almost exactly as I thought it was going to, where you had Hollis scoring quickly. Um, well, their first drive, their first drive was four plus minutes, which yeah. is an eternity for. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh-huh. just that's just a clock killing <laughs> murder drive. Their, for sec- Hollis. their second drive was si- seven seconds. Yeah. So I mean that. Yeah. And then the third. I don't think you can use the word drive when yeah, followed right. by it was seven one seconds. Play. It was one right. play. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, and and then their their third touchdown was also a shorter drive, um, and then Bo did exactly what I thought they had the chance the opportunity to do in that game they get pinned deep on the kickoff at their 19 yard line um but then they would i think there was six ten left in the half and hollis never saw the ball again um bo went on a 81 yard drive yeah that took up six six minutes and 10 seconds they scored on the final play of the half to make it 2014 and they got the kickoff to start the second half i thought yeah. That's a recipe for a turnaround. Yeah, right. yeah, right. And and HB's defense, they stepped up. Um, they stopped. You know, they forced a punt. They didn't score, but when Bo got the ball back, they forced a turnover. Scored off that. I mean, it was, it was a, a defensive performance that I don't think I've seen from a Hollis team in, in a, quite a yeah, probably quite a since while. that twenty eleven yeah. yeah time frame, right? Well, so so think about this. What you just said earlier, we were like, hey. You know, Bo hadn't seen anything like Hollis, and Hollis hadn't seen anything like Bo. Well, if you if you take that one step further, I still think that Plymouth hasn't seen anything like Hollis. Oh no! But now Hollis has seen That's something, right. yeah, like Plymouth because they just played Bo last week. So, yeah, right. Like like you said, you never count out no, Plymouth. No, but no. I'm almost thinking that Hollis kind of has a little bit of an advantage going in, just given. The style of team that they just defended but and, and beat, I, you know, and then I would say, well, does Plymouth's experience, well, you know, being yeah. in this game? But then again, they That's don't. They have what five, maybe five kids that played in that in that game last year. Hey, I, I don't know. I don't remember who told me the story, but this is all you need to know about Plymouth. It might have even been you. 
uh, it was it was Eric Brown. Somebody it was somebody recounting a story from Eric Brown, who was the head coach of the of the Chad team uh, two years ago when Garrett Maycomer played. Yep. And it was like it, the story went something like, you know, Maycomer sent Coach Brown a message, you know, like an hour and a half before practice began. and was like, hey, just confirming practices at this field. Right. And Coach Brown texted back like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be there. Why? Like, oh, I'm here now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Coach Brown showed up and was like, why are you here an hour early? And he was like, that's just the way we do things in Plymouth. Now, I don't know whether that story is true. I don't remember where I heard it. But somebody told me that story, that Garrett McHomer was there for that first Chad practice like an hour early. And his excuse was, that's just how we do it in Plymouth. It's a Plymouth thing. So, I don't know, man. That's <laughs> that's a pretty, well, that's a pretty interesting culture. Uh, I, I mean, a great right oh yeah i mean yeah. in a good way right yeah um i i mean i'm i might i might say of the three matchups of the day this one might be the one i'm anticipating the most because yeah. of just uh, again that they've never played each other um and just the contrast and size i felt the same way about that game last the hollis bow game last yeah. week i just it's intriguing to me what what is it going to look like um and of course the d1 game uh, a little bit like that too, where you have a Londonderry team that likes to spread out the ball out, yep. you know, throw it, run it, and plays good defense. And then you have an Exeter team that plays everything in tight, yep. runs it, and maybe also throws it. What, what I, I, I they throw the ball a little bit this year, and I think yeah. that's um, I think maybe those have been some of the the better when when Exeter is this good. They have some home run hitters, yeah, uh, and they certainly have that. They they're big play capable this year. When Exeter is the most dangerous, and I you know I go all the way back to 2002. You know when I was coaching at Merrimack and we moved to Division Two, and and you know we used to play Exeter every year, and they're no different now. I mean, just minor differences, right? And and uh, but the thing that most dangerous Exeter teams were always the ones that could just pound you for three, four, five, six yards, off tackle, fullback trap. And then the moment that they caught a safety sticking their nose in the mix, they had that tight end that they could just hit down a seam on play action. And, and, and just like it happened, right, it's a 50-yard touchdown. And it's like that's – they only need to do that two or three times a game. Right. But if, if they're, you know, if they're two of three for, you know, 79 yards and two touchdowns, that's murder. Actually, I think the first or second game that I ever covered up here, after I moved back up here, was an Exeter-Merrimack playoff game uh, at the old Exeter field. Yeah, it was the last game played. Right, yeah. And that was exactly what happened was there was a couple of uh, long touchdown passes to a tight end. I couldn't tell you what his name was, but they were like – 70 yard touchdown yeah, passes no, we, and that's we, what we yeah. sold out to the run because that's what you have to do because they're so good at it yeah i mean i remember the game like it was yesterday and uh, i remember the thing i remember most about the game was showing up and looking at the pitcher's mound uh, <laughs> on like the 30 yard <laughs> line and like being like this is safe to play on yeah <laughs> that was a that was a field filled with history though oh. you know it was kind of cool going over there and playing but yeah, that was the very last game played before they went to that beautiful almost college worthy stadium that they have now yeah, and we got our butts kicked. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was the, it was like our first playoff appearance since forever. Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. ninety five, and it it didn't end well. You know, you mentioned um, you know just the being able to keep the ball and and not give it away, and and Exeter had a drive like that 
um, against Mar- late in the in the second half. I shouldn't say late in the second half. It was pretty much the second half. Yeah. Um, they had a 12 minute drive. Oh my they, god. They got the ball with 4:20 left in the third quarter, and um, you know, didn't give it up again. They scored with 4:25 left in the game. It wow. was a 20 play drive, um, that made it a 34-7 game. <laughs> If you, you know, think about that, I mean, a lot has to happen to make a 20-play drive. You know, penalties, uh, I mean, even field position, right? There's only so many <laughs> yards you can gain while still picking up first downs to be able to continuously I mean, move the ball have, for 20 if, plays. If you, get the, <laughs> you, if you get the ball at midfield and, you, and you're on a 20-yard drive, that's probably – yeah. I mean, maybe it's great you're eating up the clock, but it's probably not good. <laughs> yeah, well, it almost can't be done, right? I mean, that's what I mean. There, there has to be enough field space for you to operate in and consistently be getting first downs. You'd have to be losing yardage, I think, on at least one down. Yeah, like, right. Like, consistently yeah, like just to losing give yourself yardage. the like, space. You get right? a first down and then maybe lose five. Right, right. Uh, you yeah, know, not, I've never done the math, but <laughs> I don't think that's an easy thing to do. You know, for, for Merrimack, it's um, you know a, a tough exit. They, of course, lose that... Uh, at Exeter, 34-14, the second year in a row, they've, um, you know, had a rough out in the semifinals. Yep. Of course, they lost to Bedford last year. Um, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week with, with Roger that, you know, that's um, three out of four years, though, that Merrimack has been in the Final Four. Yeah. Uh, after, as we said, not making the playoffs essentially once in 20 yeah, years. a drought. Um, you know, they really went through a, a drought. It just the, the, the job that they – that Kip Jackson – you know, and his coaching staff up there have done kind of turning things around has just been it's been remarkable, especially in a year, you know, I don't know what their expectations were this year, but the feeling I got was that they would be happy to get into the playoffs. Yeah, they lost a lot of talent and uh they knew they were gonna be young and that there were a couple leaders I think that were gonna carry them, guys like Dyer and um what's the what's the quarterback's name? Who, uh, uh, James Dowling, Dowling Devin right, Wood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean they they had a lot of talent but guys that weren't in leadership roles that last year that were going to have to step up but you know the Merrimack success doesn't surprise me because I think the way that coach Jackson and his staff hold those the players accountable and instill a lot of discipline um there's a there's a and they make football special right it's not just like hey you're coming out to practice we have games I mean they 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 make it it's it's really the definition of a program, which is what these teams that are consistently successful do, right? It's what the Exeters do. It's what the Plymouths do. It truly is a program. The word program gets thrown around a lot. A program isn't just like, yeah, you, you do your weights, you do your off-season, you show up, you practice, you play games. I mean, there's community elements involved. There's off-season elements involved. There's team-building elements involved. And Merrimack's done a good job of incorporating that stuff and making it, you know, uh, like the sport to play. And, and so, yeah, it is a tough out, but you know what? Exeter is a, a, a great program, and they've had a phenomenal year. What, what was the one loss? I don't even it remember. It was to North. They lost um, on a late field right. goal to North, yeah. Right, 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 right. right here, season. Right. Yeah, in, in over at Stellos, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and then you've got – the other thing I want to add about the Division One game is that I think Londonderry can deceive you by the way they line up and that, oh, that, you know, they, they throw the ball all over the place. But – they're really good at running the ball. They've got really good backs. I mean, the the Wiedenfeld kid is powerful. He's he's straightaway fast. He's not a, like a quick guy, but um, you know these two teams can pound on each other, um, despite what formations they use, and they can both throw despite what formations they use. Right? We were just talking yeah, about that with yeah. Exeter. So 
even though the 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 by by view the styles may contrast, I actually don't think they're that different because they can both do those things really well, and they're both very very disciplined and capable on defense. So it's going to be a good game. Yeah, you know, Londonderry got into the game with a uh, 35-14 win over Salem. Their their second win over Salem of the year and. You know, it sounded kind of like that game went a little bit like the first game with Salem, where it was a close first half. Londonderry gets a, a Wiedenfeld touchdown right before the half. They get the second half kickoff and score again on a, a, a Jake McKecker and Nicole Keegan touchdown. Yep. And, it's, you know, it goes from being a 7-7 game to a 21-7 game. And there you go. Londonderry's in the driver's seat and... You know, I mean, it's tough to put points up on them anyways, but to try to come back from a two-touchdown deficit in, in less than a half is, uh, yeah. you know, and, and again, Salem, another team that, that, you know, has big play capabilities but probably needs a little bit more time to get down the field and score. Yeah. Well, and honestly, you know, credit to Salem. I would guess that a lot of, a lot of people, right, whether people in the press or, or fans or whatever, I don't think they would have given Salem a shot or at least as much of a shot to be in that game. And it, it, I, I think that they did a really good job. Their defense, you know, uh, did the best that they could possibly do against an offense that seems almost, it seems like it's, it's an almost insurmountable task to stop Londonderry at this point. But I was actually really pleasantly surprised to see that the game was close. It was apparently it was well played. I mean, obviously I didn't see it because I was on travel and stuff, but um, I was I was really pleased with the fact that it seemed like Salem really came to play, and and even though what was the final again on that thirty five fourteen yeah but it, yeah D, I, the D one games were almost identical in in scores yeah but I it, it it wasn't it wasn't as much of a blowout I don't think as that as, score period right, I, I think yeah. Salem really put up a great fight and had a good game plan based on what I everything I I heard and saw and so. You know, I mean, and that's been a Salem team that's just been in the thick of it every year. So it's a it's a good win for Londonderry. Yeah, they're a quality win. Third year in a row in the semifinals for Salem. Yeah, uh, kind of like Merrimack, Merrimack, just a little little uh, uh, unlucky, I guess. Yeah, you could say in a sense. Um, you know, for Londonderry, uh, first championship game appearance since two thousand and one. Yep. Um, looking for their first championship since nineteen ninety eight. I remember I was a sophomore in high school in 96 when they beat then they beat a unified Nashua team yep. to win a championship and then I believe the two teams played again the following year and uh and and Nashua won yeah yeah I uh, coached against that last team that yeah that won the, the the playoffs and I mean yeah. they were they were beasts I mean they they had a offensive lineman last name Kane I don't remember but I mean I think I think he actually spent some time in the NFL you know I mean they were just they're really good, but yeah, it's been a little bit of a drought for Londonderry. And you pointed out before we started that it's 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 not the same old same old, right? It's not Bedford or Pinkerton or you know, like it's nice to have. Uh, couple, I don't mean that new, like we didn't want to see the here, other teams, yeah. but I mean it's yeah. kind of cool to see different teams different in the different finals. programs here. I right. mean, Exeter's been in it twice before since I should say since they they started playing the finals at at UNH. Exeter has been in it twice before. Londonderry hasn't. Plymouth, of course, has been there you know four right. times in a row. But Hollis is a new one. Lebanon and Trinity are both new. Right. Um, and you know what, what's interesting, of course, the, the D1 game, I don't know if I mentioned, kicks off at 6 o'clock Sunday night uh, at UNH. 
you know, I know in years past, the, the previous two times that Exeter has made the, to this point in the, you know, in this format, I remember the some of the talk was they're going against Goffstown, they're going against Bedford. These are spread teams. They didn't see any spread. Just the way the breakdown yeah. of the the, um, the the clusters were was it was you had all the spread teams pretty much over here and all of the power running formation type teams over here. Yeah, we're like in the coast or yeah. right. And this year you don't really have that. It's more of a mix. Yep. Where Exeter has played north, they played south, they played BG. Um, Londonderry's plays you know every year plays Pinkerton and Salem and yep. Timberlane and Wyndham. So they're not unfamiliar. You know, so yeah, they're not not uh, unfamiliar with this kind of uh, defending these kind of teams. So. Yep. That's an element, I think, that, that you can maybe take out. And they also just happened to play each other in the last game of the regular season last year, which is kind of an interesting... I don't know if uh, how often that's happened where, it, you know, so close to... It's been so close to this um, this season that the two teams have met. Yeah. Yeah, again, uh, all three of these matchups are actually, I think, are really interesting matchups. They're really good matchups. There's different sort of intrigue involved with each of them. Um, uh, y- you can't always say that every year, so I think it's a I think it's a great I think it's a great thing. It's great for football in the state. It's a great draw if you're a fan to go see some different styles of play on display and and uh, you know some teams that you're not used to seeing. So I, it should be a great weekend. It's a great event. Well, Mike, it was uh, it was glad to have you back off the uh, the the pup list. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> He is uh, he's Mike Lockman. Uh, thank you again for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you. I am Joe Marcellina. Thanks for listening. We'll be uh, talking to you again next week to wrap up all of these championship games. And then we're going to even come back for a special podcast the week after uh, just to wrap up the season as a whole. So uh, come join us and, and listen again both weeks and uh, enjoy Sunday's championship games.